This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I am your host, Peter, and I am still here tonight on the show. I'm ecstatic to bring to you Duncan Barlow coming on to the podcast for the second time. Duncan's an old, old friend from many, many years back. Duncan, you know him from Endpoint, uh, you know him from By the Grace of God, the Aussie Lake but he was in a little band after Endpoint called Step Down. Step Down then became the experimental, the heavy, the thinking man's heavy hardcore band, as I'd like to call them, Guilt. And tonight on the show, it's not only Duncan. We are joined by the wonderful Ashley State. You know Ashley from Guilt, from one of my all-time favorite bands, Ink and Dagger, and from another one of my all-time favorite bands, Elliot, the grand, beautiful, stunning, melodic Elliot. They're both here tonight to talk about one thing and one thing only. That is the remastered reissue of the seminal 90s hardcore masterpiece that came out on Victory Records and is now being reissued on Mind Over Matter Records. That album, folks, is called <laughs> Bardstown Ugly Box. <clears throat> I have a picture of myself taken in front of the piece of uh, multimedia sculpture uh, that is made up of dental molds and the like that had been hanging in Duncan's apartment. It's on the back cover of the original record. Uh, this album, all titled after Greek letters. This is just as Synesthesia had been before it. Uh, named uh, the song names were thematic. The record slightly thematic, uh, slightly conceptual, but in all honesty, they're all different stories, different themes. Uh, you know, meditations on loss, 
on anger, frustration, uh, existential dread, what do you know? Um, these were the records in the 90s that really captured the zeitgeist of my own personal experience as uh, a teenager and 20-something-year-old trying to navigate into adulthood uh, and being frustrated, disillusioned, depressed, uh, carrying my addictions and traumas with me into adulthood. And no better soundtrack can be created for that state of being than records by the likes of Guilt, Dead Guy, Starkweather, Bloodlet, Neurosis. Um, and then later I, I started to mellow out a little bit, but <clears throat> at that point in my life, this was the perfect music. At this point in my life, this is the perfect music. Although I'm on the other side of a lot of that emotional torment, this music still inspires me to uh, want to be something more. That angst has it provides such a drive for me. And I hope you glean that from this music and from this interview. Uh, please like, rate, subscribe. Uh, whatever you have to do, go on my Instagram, share my stuff. I appreciate you. I love you all. I don't want to take too much time away from this interview and this experience because I love guilt so damn much. My top five favorite bands of that era, hands down. I'm going to give you a little piece of my favorite song off of this record, and then we will get over to the interview. So I give to you Ashley and Duncan of Guilt on the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast.
straight down it takes me straight down it takes me it takes me I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh, it's okay. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> How are you? I'm I don't, doing well. I don't think I've seen you since you were in Ink and Dagger. Uh, in, oh. uh, like way back when, you know? Yeah, um, that was forever ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Like anyway. <laughs> sure. I mean, and, and you know, be that as it as it were, it was all good music. You know oh, what I mean? You, you were always involved in something good, so all of my memories of your musical input or output as it were were always phenomenal well thank you thank you you're welcome <laughs> so i'm sure duncan is just really happy with me right now but oh it's fine neither one of us were mad it's just funny because you said if you have any questions let me know and then it wasn't till i was sitting here like an hour ago and i was like duncan wait a minute he said six central and eight eastern. I don't know what what is it. Which one is it? I don't know. And then I had all these questions. I was like, I shouldn't sit outside with birds chirping, should I? And he's like, probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll go inside. <laughs> so. You know, that that would have worked just fine. I've I've been uh, recording a lot of episodes uh, under duress uh, very recently. Uh, like bands like where there's more than one person involved in the podcast one person's in a really controlled environment the other is like on a video shoot on oh. his phone and clipping every 16 seconds and somehow i made that work too so <laughs> well then you know what you're doing <laughs> absolutely uh, whatever makes you comfortable is good so like ha have you still been involved with music at all or did you uh -huh. kind of like with yeah, actually, I was doing a band here um, called Kames, but then pandemic hit and things just kind of fell apart after that. And everybody's yeah. gone on to do other things. And then um, last year, I don't know if you're familiar with Elliot. Oh, from, very, very. I yeah. went did a stint with them um, last year. It was about 10 shows and that was a lot of fun. Um, but right now, not not really doing anything hi duncan hey duncan <laughs> hey how are you guys fabulous look at I'm that so... wall of power behind you <laughs> oh yeah duncan i'm i'm sorry much better than mine <laughs> i'm i'm sorry duncan i'm sorry duncan <laughs> oh no 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 it's fine we're we're even now yeah now now we're even we're yeah, very yeah. even yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
we were just kind of catching up on um, what Ashley's been up to since, you know, uh, guilt and then ink and dagger and all of that. Um, you know, sorry. Oh, look at this. This is this is Toby. This is Colonel Toby Hooper. <laughs> Where's this chainsaw? Yeah, right. <laughs> It, and you know, it just it dawned on me right, like right now, too, the amount of uh, the amount of time that has transpired from the original release of Bardstown to now. It's not quite thirty years; it's twenty eight years. But uh, what what was the the catalyst that said, like, okay, now at at this time period is the time for us to finally bring this forth? Is that is it the fact that victory is completely and utterly in flames, or? Uh, no, actually, um, so without getting into the legal stuff, um, we, we, I just kind of, with the pandemic and I just had the time to hire a lawyer and get the sort of the rights back to all the, the bands that I had been in from the people holding them. So, um. So it really had to do with time. And I, I, I think it's right around the time Victory uh, sold to Concord. So mm. it just all kind of was the right timing uh, uh, to do it. And nobody, I mean, we weren't like a big seller, right? We weren't like Thursday. So it wasn't like a fight. <laughs> well, maybe not, but like, if you could see it through the lens that like, my contemporaries and I had seen guilt through this was like you take bands like neurosis for as embattled as they sadly are currently. Um, we just lost Ashley. Uh, I think we did for all of these bands, these, these, your, uh, neurosis, your bloodlet, your dead guy, like guilt was always right in line with all of those bands that just so happened to be on victory records at one point or another. So although you're seeing it as not a big seller, none of those bands really were, but they're all staples, right? Dead Guy so, sold pretty pretty well. Dead Guy did pretty well. That, that may be true, but that's probably had more to do with the fact that they were a flash-in-the-pan kind of band, just like Gorilla Biscuits or any of the other like really classic hardcore bands who had a 7-inch or maybe a record in a 7-inch. You know, Guilt stuck around a little bit longer than that, having had, you know an ep then a full length then another ep and then you know gone but still um who was really a massive band on there besides thursday and the couple like emo whatever bands that happened after that whole first thrust of victory not very many right but they're all considered classics guilt is definitely considered a classic otherwise austin wouldn't have put it out period you know like obviously it's viable but like looking back that 28 years later and like the incredible shows you guys would put on that were very tribal events uh you know with almost like drum circles going on on stage and and things of that matter um how does that like strike you now being uh we're all of a certain age and and hearkening back to that do you think it's reinvigorating your lust for this music that you'd created way back when 
That's a that's a really good question. Um, I I don't know, Ashley. How do you feel? I mean, it's it's right. It's a weird. It's a hard question to answer. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm not. <clears throat> I want to say first that I missed the whole first thing that you said, Duncan, because I lost my connection. But I'm back now. Um. But the question: Are you saying? I'm trying, I don't know how to answer that exactly. Is it, is it making you fall in love all over again with this music that you'd created oh. 28 years ago? Like, are you finding like a, a, a recognition of the counterpoint of your younger self with the person you are now via this vehicle of the, the, the music coming to the fore again and being remastered and reinvigorated? Um, I'm <clears throat> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> My nerves just went. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to be any help during this po podcast, Duncan. <laughs> There's so many things to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. So let me back that up a little bit because I think. It's, it's exciting to get back into those songs um, and to, to give them to Steve Evitz, who I've always really loved the way he mixes. Um, uh, we, we, we had talked to a couple people. Uh, uh, Ken Andrews from Failure was one of them who I really admire. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and just, you, you have these tapes and the the recording of that was was really rough for us we had to leave before we finished before we mixed it because my mom was dying yeah uh and i think bob caught really great tones and so there was this whole process of first we had to transfer these old tapes to digital so they had to be baked Baked them up, yeah. Right, um, because they're they're post, uh, they're they're of an era where they stopped using whale blubber to bind tape, and so then uh, Alan Duchess uh, transferred them and they sent them off to Steve, and I had no idea really what to expect. You know, there was only like Kyle and I only did singular guitar tracks, um, whereas on other records we beeped them up. And let's face it, like Ashley's bass on that first version is non-existent. It's just it's a little whisper. And so the first song that he tried came in and I quickly sent it to everybody and I was blown away. Right. Um, I don't I feel like I don't know, Ashley, how did you feel when that first song came in? The first song, like the first time we recorded it? Is that no, the remix. Yeah, oh, the remix? Oh, wow. It was night and day. It was, um, without saying anything negative, when I listened to the first time we recorded it, it was just, I was disappointed. It was lackluster. Um, mm -hmm. It And it was, um, I think now, although who wouldn't love to go back and just completely redo everything they played because I'm in such a different place now musically and with where I am um, 
being an adult and a little more grown up and caring a little more would love to redo all that but but having the remix it's like finally has like that meat to it that we all that i always wanted is just and that's what's exciting about it is like oh, finally it's got some grit and it's got some like heaviness and that was for me personally i tend that's my liking is for it to be heavier and grittier and just in your face rather than so even toned um and so that part of it is exciting for me and it does get me re you know invigorated like yeah let's go play the show and now we've got this recording out and um yeah i don't know i'm i'm much happier like when i heard the first one i couldn't believe it i was like ah, that's awesome that's what we've been looking for cool <laughs> Yeah, when I, yeah. When when I first uh, when Duncan first sent me uh, these versions of the record, which was a while ago now at this point, I could hear the room for the first time on the record. And the room's always people don't understand how important the room you're recording in is to the actual product that 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 comes through, you know. And you could get a, a better sense of that room that you guys are recording in, the depth of it, the. Uh, it's it's almost as if it got stripped of a certain spirit upon the initial release. Um, and I, Duncan, I think you may remember me telling you that the cassette was the only mix of uh, Bardstown that sounded good when it came out. The cassette sounded good. The cassette sounded better than the CD and the vinyl. It's a weird thing. I don't know how that translates. Maybe it's just because of the medium, but I always preferred to listen to the, that cassette version of it for some odd reason. Um, it, it, when you go back, though, like those tracks have uh, a certain flow that didn't get lost, which the, was the best part of that record was the way it flowed together originally. That doesn't get lost in this new mix, but what does come through is that bottom end, but also it's probably the most miserable, I think, guilt record <laughs> you know well we were all pretty miserable at the time yeah, one, except for yeah. kyle kyle's always happy <laughs> <laughs> kyle, i mean he was probably miserable because of us but, um, <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> but uh, i mean you bring up it's an interesting thing because you know i had this really just wildly unchecked uh depression um i i I think I was just starting to come to terms with that this thing was there. Um, and I was, I mean, I was coming apart. Uh, and by the time we did further, I was just, you know, the hinges were off. It was, I was uh, coming apart. And, and you would go on these tours and like the one we did with Earth Crisis, of course, was, was great. And then we had that miserable 96 tour where, you know, the band just dissolved in the weirdest way. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, Ashley and I like had this love hate relationship in our band uh, mm -hmm. because I would be like, I would just do shit and not check with anybody. It <laughs> was like, what? <laughs> well, and I had no, um, composure or poise i would just lose my shit like <laughs> rah, you know and i mean it was a pro it seemed it was hard at the time 
but it was it also seemed appropriate like that band that's what it was it was just we were all like well i i say we were all but i really think it seems more like duncan and i were the ones who were both having our own like just craziness going on um and it it made for a very interesting dynamic <laughs> um but without getting too lost and off topic um i think something that you said um a little bit ago is really kind of what i was getting at with that album is it felt flat to me and there was so much emotion going on you know and there's so much emotion in the songs and i feel like that's kind of what got lost like the dynamics and the like the wrong like the feelings that of the things like that duncan was going through i can't speak for him but then also at that point in my life you know i was just raging um in so many ways like alcoholism and just debilitating insecurity and whatever and so all of this i think that really played into the dynamics in the band and i feel like that's kind of what got lost in the recording was you know the emotion and the feelings and the rawness it felt very flat to me when i heard that mm. i hope i'm not way off no no. no 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 <laughs> it, it was very two-dimensional and and this was not they actually write about this in the liner notes of Barstown Ugly Boxes and like this, I do this brief history, but it's not Bob's fault because Bob right. was an excellent engineer. It's yes. we, we wanted, we were trying to do this thing at the time of like, let's bridge those like indie rock things we love with metal, mm -hmm. um, which we didn't really see. Maybe it was like with hum or something, but like not a lot of bands were doing it. And, but what we really needed was a producer. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we didn't really think about it too much. We were just kind of like, we want that Albini kind of drum sound. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, Bob had this impossible task of us go, you know, him kind of doing things and us like not knowing what to, to say or do in the situation. And then, you know, I get a call about my mom and I'm like, Hey guys, I got to go home. We pack up early and we leave and, and after a while, it was just like, you know, in hindsight, what we should have done, because this was supposed to be such a big breakthrough record for us, yeah. um, because that was our victory was at their peak. And, you know, and, and I'm sure if even Tony would have suggested this, I would have probably just been a, a, a object to it for the because I was so objected, objected to everything at the time, but it, it, we should have given it to a producer to mix, right? Um, a yeah. mixer or something. Uh, and we, we didn't, so we just kind of, the record looks beautiful, but it was two-dimensional. Um, I still would love more guitar tracks on there um, and a second vocal track. You know what though there's there's a charm to these things that like sonically you're bemoaning and i get that but for the time period and for you know the impact that this record had on as many people as i'm still connected to that were listening to it back then 
we all feel the same way about this specific record. There's something almost nihilistic in its beauty and, and also very unified in vision. I mean, like, just take, for example, the fact that everything is in uh, Greek numeric or Greek letters um, and, and everything just as synesthesia had been, you know, it follows a theme that's uh, almost obtuse or, or perfunctory. You know, it, it doesn't totally make sense to the content, but it gives it a meter and a scale. You know, um, it, it gives you a through line, something like a, like a map to go by but it's still this spiral and very epic in scope as well. Um, the fact that there are these pratfalls of, of production, uh, like thinness in production or, 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 or uh, mixing is a little bit thin. There's still something conceptually that is so uh, robust about this record that people still remember it and still have a, a, an affinity for it. Um, you, you have to kind of see that it still resonates with people, right? Yeah, I mean, I see that and I hear people saying that. Um, I think my perception of things at the time really, it really just um, dampened what I perceived other people to think about our music, I guess. Yeah. Um, because I was in such a space that even hearing you say now, like that, how impactful it was or what have you, I'm like, what? Come on now. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but I get all, I'm, I get excited. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't think I was uh, aware of that at the time or even now. It's just like I said, like hearing people say that I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Let's do it again. Let's go. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, Ashley. Do you remember this? We would roll up to like these hardcore fests, and we'd see the people out front, and we could always identify like two or three. We're like, those are the guilt people. <laughs> like we knew who we could just see them because yeah. just like everybody else was like in jerseys and stuff, yes. and then there's these just like sort of awkward nerdy kids, and we're like, oh, yeah. they're here for us. <laughs> yep, I definitely remember rolling up to shows and being like, yeah, they're not here to see us. <laughs> they yeah, came I, because we're on victory, and then they're going to walk away as soon as we start playing. <laughs> I was the guy with the long hair uh, with the neurosis t-shirt on. He was like yes. still a hardcore kid, but like, you know, I'm metal too. That I was definitely the guilt uh, audience. And Duncan, I almost wore the long sleeve version of the t-shirt you're wearing right now. <laughs> yeah, I realized because that. of the like, sleeves. Oh. Isn't that what you yeah. said? <laughs> There's a you know a whole like kind of subgenre of of the whole victory hardcore thing uh, that you guys ex like were the leaders of and exemplified, and 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 the dead guys and the kiss of goodbyes and even like bands like Starkweather. You you all inhabited that space that. You know, it was really aggressive, metallic, tinged music that was safe for hardcore kids to be cool with because you weren't you weren't Heshers, but mm -hmm. you were still you you still took metal and and made it as Sabbathy as humanly possible for hardcore punk kids. Um, that that doesn't make sense to people now. It really doesn't because uh, I, there are far less boundaries for the independent music lover in this day and age. Just like everything else that I think is really great about this generation, like how they're, how they feel about, uh, 
the way they identify with gender and, and, and the like. I think these young people have it all over who we were as young people, even though we're all for it and champions of it. They don't care about genre anymore. Back then, to go against something that's very codified and very rigid, uh, um, I think that was almost very kind of brave of you guys to strike out on the path you had after Duncan with Endpoint to come into something like guilt and to, you know, make a grand statement like that, I think was very powerful. What, the initial intention of what you were doing with guilt, what was, what did that look like? Like, what was the, the initial thought when you guys got together and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, my original vision for it was actually, um, I came up, I came up with the, the original idea on the guilt catharsis tour. Uh, and I was pretty, you know, I think that was the first time I was ever experiencing depression. So I didn't really know what the feeling was. And, uh, I remember just drawing the logo on CBGB's door. Mm -hmm. Uh, and somebody was like, what is that? I was like, I, I don't know. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about. And when I came back, I met up at, I don't even know if you know this, actually, uh, John Cook and I got together and he was playing drums and I was showing him these riffs I had. And he was like, yeah, man. And I go, and I'm thinking about making all the songs colors. And he was like, oh yeah, man. And then he just, you know, flaked, you know, um, uh, <laughs> and so I just kind of, Put together the closest people who was were in step down and lee was like uh-uh no part of this left and eventually christian left and um i'd known ashley since like 87 88 or something mm -hmm. and she was in a band called snake ear um yeah. <laughs> and i i saw them play and i said i just went up and i was like hey ashley you want to be in a band <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh she that was her band right with matthew renee matthew is like a really well-established artist now his work is amazing that was telephone man with matt telephone man okay sorry. yeah snake eater was before telephone man that was that with sean from undermine yep. sean McLaughlin, and, uh, yeah evergreen Mm -hmm. God, Louisville is incestuous. Yes, very. Very, but that's <laughs> there's something there's something in the water with, with with that whole like that whole scene you guys were involved with because you know you get Elliot from it, you get guilt, you get by the grace of God, you get all of these really important bands coming out of like this relatively smaller area. It's not like New York City. Louisville, it had, it, it's, it's a big town, but it's, it's compared to New York or LA. That's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's a microcosm. I, I don't know how to quantify how important that whole initial records, uh, Louisville thing was, but it, it, it even the Metro shifter just had like such a, a, a wide reach carved a large swath through our music scene. Um, was what was youth like growing up in a scene that was that kind of like nationally important? Oh man, <laughs> I don't think any of us 
I gotta be honest, none of us fucking cared. Right. Um, uh, in that way, I think, right? Like, because we were such a weird, like a weird scene, like, and the, the punk scene was always very active there and kind of renowned for, you know, like uh, Discord and even talked to Malignant Growth about working with them mm -hmm. uh, and doing like a, a kind of split release like they did with, I think, uh, I can't remember, Necros or something. They did something. My memory's bad on that. But um, so we had these great bands we grew up with. Um, that, that we all were friends with and we loved. They were like our big brothers in a way, big sisters uh, as well. And, but like, we, we, we are still neglected. Louisville still, like sure, people talk about slant till yeah. the pals come home, but in, in this world of like hardcore or emo, the conversation never comes to the Midwest. You hear about New York, you hear about California. You don't hear about, you know, the bands. You don't hear about Elliot <clears throat> falling forward. You don't hear about uh, split lip, right? In these things, it's completely ignored. And and the emo thing really it just misses that link between Rights of Spring and Braid, right? They just yeah. skip right over what happened in between. But the Midwest is is to my mind the the most fertile breeding ground of of what is like just forget the whole emo thing, but independent music from like slant across the board. Like you don't get like, you don't get most of these bands that really changed the face of the culture and, and, and informed the sound that resonated to either coast without the Midwest. The Midwest <laughs> is kind of like where it really happened. You don't get crank records. You don't get you know mineral. You don't get any of that without the midwest um the east coast and i'm from the east coast you get tough guy hardcore you get a little bit of death metal the west coast you get like the really like poppy indie rock and the really crazy hardcore everything interesting that truly came to the fore in the late 80s and early 90s came from the midwest and you could really blame Louisville, Kentucky, and Columbus, Ohio for a great, a great majority of those sounds. I could make that argument until the cows come home, but if you look at the amount of people and their proximity to these two locations, to my like the people who come on my podcast, they're either from Ohio or Kentucky. <laughs> so that tells you where my heart was at that time period, you know? Hmm. So so when i ask like i'm not asking what it meant to you to be in a renowned scene at that time period but how did it feel like to have that charge of of uh you know creative invigoration surrounding you by these bands that were, were your friends your peers the uh, uh the people you aspired to just like stand shoulder to shoulder with because there was a lot going on Hmm. <laughs> or I'm just being too obtuse. I don't know. No, no. Um, 
I, I guess when I think back, I don't, I don't think I was aware of, I just remember it being exciting. And like when yeah. I first started going to shows, I didn't care what genre it was. I went to every show I could go to no matter yeah. what. And that's also when the bill would have like polar opposite bands. I mean, you could have one band that's over here and this side and this, you know, it was, they, they bands just got put together on a bill and it made it fun. And you would see, to me, it seemed like I would see, I knew, you know, these people are kind of into this and these people are into this, but we would see them all at the same shows, like back yeah. in my younger days. And it felt mm -hmm. like as I got older, that's when everything started to really go into like, well, that's, that's a hardcore show. I'm not going to that because I'm the artsy guy over here. Who's, you know, listening to Rodan or this or that and the other, but it seemed like in the past, like we all went to the same shows and it was really <laughs> fun and it was really exciting. And I mean, of course the youth thing was in there too, you know, um, but I don't know. I just remember it being really fun and really exciting. I don't think I was aware um, of how broad the range of music was that we were you know that was here and, yeah um and i love yeah. it i wish it was still that way <laughs> um even though i still go i go to i see whatever bands i want to see now and you know I, but yeah i'm gonna stop there because i'm gonna wander and ramble that's what this show's for that's, that's where the magic happens yeah that's where all the good stuff goes down <laughs> no i i tend to just talk in circles without I saying have... anything <laughs> I, I, I did an episode with Duncan not that long ago. Uh, I released about two hours of it, but I think there's almost like close to four hours of discussion there. Oh, wow. And, and, and the, the, the pre-written the, the pre questions that I'd asked, I'd thrown out because the, <laughs> the magic happened when Duncan and I just started to free associate and, you know, like really, really talk about what, what makes us happy about life the, what makes us love literature and poetry and music and 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 art and expression because in all reality it's not about you know like what scene you come from or or, or what like you know what what you associate yourself with as a as a codified genre or or what have you what it really comes down to is is what this music made you feel then and does it still translate to now? 90% of the time, yes, it probably still does. Um, guilt meant something to me when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. I'm going to be 47. Guilt still means the same things for the same reasons because it was the art was sincere. It wasn't, uh, you know, trying to be something, putting on airs, like coming out there like, we're all going to rehearse our moves and we're going to mosh in mm. unison. And we're like, it's, it's, it, nobody was getting hard. Nobody was like, you know, talking about their lifestyles. It wasn't that kind of trip. It was art. Art is eternal. Art will always be art. Mm -hmm. Trying to be, uh, you know, a straight edge vegan, uh, you know, opinion for whatever you stand for that's probably not going to make sense to you 20 years from now. But if you express something that is meaningful 
and 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 reverberates through time like we're still reading you know the iliad now mm -hmm. why is that because it's an expression it's it, it, it's not it's not a politics it, it, it's not someone trying to force their ideals upon you they're expressing an emotion and a feeling and emotions feelings expressions and art will always resonate throughout time mm -hmm. that was the true strength i think of what guilt had done mm -hmm. just my opinion thank you um i think in response to that for me um it's funny when you talk about like rehearsing your moves and doing all i think and I go back to this and I get mad at myself every time I do an interview because I'm like, I'm not going to talk about my emotional problems <laughs> that I had, you know, <laughs> but honestly in guilt, that was, I mean, it was the height of it. And, you know, that eventually led to a lot of things that made me change my life and the way I was living, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. But even like when I looked, I couldn't think I had so much going on mentally and emotionally and was in so much like emotional pain at the time that I wasn't fully aware of. I couldn't think about, okay, what move am I going to make? What am I going to, you know, I played music because I wanted to play music. I didn't think about what kind of band guilt was going to be. I knew what the 10 inch sounded like and I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, and it did start off as Duncan's baby. And I think it, it morphed into what we all put into it. But what I'm, when I look back on guilt, when I see pictures or if I see videos or I think about how I felt when I played, I mean, it is a snapshot of my insecurity and my, um, my pain and my anger. And, you know, when I was up there, I barely moved. Sometimes I would turn around and play with my back to the, the Oh, I remember that. I remember that vividly. And I hate that that I did that, but it's where I was. And I think that's part of, you know, maybe it's, it wasn't, it's not a, a good showmanship thing, but I just think it plays into, I think we were authentically doing what we were doing. Um, well, you, you, you weren't the band that we all went to, to be like, let, let's, let's get all mosherific. <laughs> I mean, guilt was for the type of person who was into bands like neurosis bands like amoebics people who were looking for something that was a, a bit darker a bit more mm -hmm. more intellectual um yet still brutal and, and and you guys delivered that so if you would have your back turned and duncan's eyes would be rolled into his head and he'd be screaming into the mic playing it was it was authentic mm -hmm. you you know what i mean i could go to see I'm not even going to name bands because I'm probably friends with some of them that did this stuff, but <laughs> you know, like, like they, they were just, it was all about that putting on that show, jumping around, doing backflips. And it's like, HR did it a long time ago and you'll never do it better than he did. So why bother? Find your own thing. <laughs> you guys found your own thing and you did that thing. Well, you don't have to be the bad brains HR and, and his brother and the, and everyone else already did that. They did it. A million times better than anyone ever could mm -hmm. find your own avenue <clears throat> you found your own avenue that that's what kind of sticks out but you know kind of like hearkening back to that time period and and you guys playing shows with earth crisis and snap case and all that 
did you always kind of feel like you were that odd duck on the bill? Always for me. <clears throat> I, I mean, that's just me personally. Yes, I did. Um, Duncan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we knew it. Um, you know, with Snapcase, it was just like, like we love them as human beings. So we were like, always excited to play with Snapcase. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Earth Crisis, we were like, okay, this is a weird pairing, but we'll roll. Um, and originally it was going to be Strife, but their tour fell through. Mm -hmm. And we had known those guys. Um, but then we hit it off with Earth Crisis. Uh, had a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, <sighs> Guilt was an interesting band in that on top of like our interpersonal sort of meltdowns and, and, and arguments and, and freezing each other out and all of this. I mean, there was one point, God, uh, actually, remember we played that, our friend had us play a <laughs> Christmas party at his house. And we're, everybody's dressed up and we're playing. And it just, to me at that moment, I just felt like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> and I refused to sing. and. Ashley and, and Kyle were just like not having it and like <laughs> clowning me. And then I just shut down more and turned towards my aunt and I would play the songs without singing. And Kyle and I for like a week would only just pass notes to each other under the door arguing about this, right? Like, <laughs> um, and but like we had that but then we had we were just this weird cursed band and it continues today i hear you buddy sorry the kitty cat um yeah. <laughs> like <clears throat> every golden opportunity for the most part that was would come our way something crazy would happen right like we would just somehow you know uh like for the release of the re-release there was a editor at Rolling Stone that was going to write a, a feature on the single and it was you know we were so excited and so we, we got it all lined up and then that day Rolling Stone that morning let three of their editors go and pulled all their stories the day it was supposed to come out and it's like <laughs> and I didn't even tell you guys about it because I was like I might have a surprise for you right and, you know Just I kidding. knew <laughs> well enough guilt is born under a bad star but um then there was just we also were just not making wise choices sometimes so like we got this was like a random good thing that happened we got a call um from and from our friend who's actually doing the show right now our, our new show um and he said hey geezer butler canceled the show opening for a band called corn do you all want to open and i had no clue who corn was and i said this was gzr huh yeah geezer it was Butler's like, band gzr yeah, yeah and he said they said uh because it was like an off date from the aussie tour and i said uh they were like it's sold out and i go yeah we'll play uh so we play to this corn audience and they loved us of yes. course they did of course they, they did like i got a call from the record store they're like what happened all of your records sold out to the weirdest people yeah. and i still like i'll be somewhere and like some 
somebody will come up and go, I saw you with corn and bought your record and I love your band. Yeah. If we were smart, we would have just said, Let, look, this, there's this whole world of metal. We should get on these shows. But instead, we're playing hardcore shows with kids that just like would rather drink oval teens than, you know, see us up there, you know, <laughs> freezing each other out and me throwing my guitar and well, sir, I, I think you you guys would have won out for sure, Ashley, because there was there was a, a vibe at that time period where music of of that ilk would have certainly lent itself to the you know the Deftones corn thing, which people bemoaned then and are now pretty okay with. But I, I didn't mean to cut you off, so please go ahead with what you were saying. No worries. All I, really, all I was going to say is like, I certainly don't want to stir the pot here, but I do remember or poke the bear or however you want to say it, but I do remember several times and, and I, my approach was probably horrible because I was such a lovely person to deal with at the time. But I do remember saying to the band or mentioning like, we're playing for the wrong crowd. And it was like just falling on deaf ears. And I was like, okay, fine. We'll keep playing hardcore shows in my brain. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, yeah. I love hardcore, love it still. Yeah. Um, but I knew that that's not where we needed to be playing. <laughs> but no, you, you absolutely told us. And, and we were like, eh. Like, whatever. <laughs> and I'm, it's not an I told you so thing. There was, I had, there was so much dysfunction that I had no way to like, present that to make it like an effective conversation <laughs> or you know i just felt it that's all i just i was like this is just not the crowd we need to be playing for um, i think i think that's why like bands like our one of our heroes no matter how embattled they are neurosis went on tour with pantera back in the day uh and then went on the first oz fest as uh earth crisis had um you know recognizing that yes we come from hardcore we love hardcore but there's a whole world of different aggressive sounds and interesting sounds that we can, you know, be a part of. And it's not a sellout. It's just uh, bringing our ideas to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you with a great degree of certainty that in the bands I was in at the same time period that you guys were a functioning band, I would have said, no, fuck that. I'm a hardcore kid. I'm playing hardcore shows and fuck those people. I know I would have said that shit because that's who I was. That's who I was. You know, um, it's funny because uh, we, like our last tour that kind of broke up the band and it ended a bunch of relationships that I had, very close relationships with the other band. Um, well, it didn't end it, but it damaged it for many years. And uh, we had an agent, and it was supposed to be Bloodlet and Guilt. <laughs> and an agent said, Bloodlet has got another tour. They're dropping this. Do you want to open for At The Gates? I had no idea who At The Gates were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I said, I said, no, we want to take our friends band. And they really fought it. And eventually they dumped the tour and I booked the tour anyway, uh, because I really felt like I shouldn't let my friends down. And, you know, uh, but what was interesting is that tour that they got was neurosis 
and they came through town on that tour. We had broken up. Ashley had moved to play with Ink and Dagger. Yeah. And Narosa ends up staying at my house, and they like I was like playing them. They asked to hear something. They asked to hear a record, and I, I played it for them. And Steve was like, "Man, I wish you. I wish we knew you existed. We'd take you on tour." And I was just like, "No, no." no. <laughs> You know, because you know, I didn't know them back then. So, like, this was the first time them staying in my house because I, I think London May couldn't host them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just like, that was just always the case of Guild is like, we just never synced in the right places. Um, and, yeah. Um, I think by the time you guys had, had reached uh, further, though, I th- I thought you guys were getting closer to, you, you know, kind of like that 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 point where you were gonna like hit that next level, you know, because like Synesthesia, beautiful concept, excellent ten inch. Then you have Bardstown, which is this fucking juggernaut. Which piss takings aside, is a flawless record, uh, like thematically and you know artistically. And then you come to further and then we get that last seven inch after further. And then it's just. Yeah. And that beautiful. seven inch was post band. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we got back together and wrote those in a day to, to, to give out at the show. I remember because you gave me that seven inch when I stayed at your place back in way back, way back then. I actually, I have to say that further and the bitter split, Bittersweet blue seven inch are my favorites. And I actually felt like as we were disintegrating, our music was coming to where it was going to be really genuinely where it needed to be or sit. I don't know. I felt like it was just starting to come together, but we were just completely falling apart all of us is really interesting and those are those are my favorites further mm-hmm. in that seven inch afterwards yeah it's 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 undebated by people that that was the record right like uh i remember actually you you probably remember this too you we were i was playing the fest in detroit with by the grace of god i think and you were playing with ink and dagger um and the guys from Coalesce came up and they were just like, that record, that further record is the record we always wanted from you. And, and we were like, oh, wow, that's really nice. You know, like, um, and I think you're right. I think Ashley's right. Even that last song on the record, the, not the piano one, uh, but the, the, the dun, 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 that song was yeah. unfinished, right? Like I didn't have lyrics. So, of those, that's a little bit of a weaker one because we hadn't fully fleshed it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we, I mean, when we wrote these song, those songs, we knew, like in that time, we knew that that we were onto something. And, and, and the first couple were written with, with Kyle in the band. And the last couple, it was, um, I think Weeder was mm-hmm. in on those. Um, so. And, for uh, a brief, you know, and he'd be, you know, stoked to finally hear it that he's mentioned in that conversation, I think. <laughs> but, um, 
because it gets glossed over. But, you know, um, that was a situation. That tour was like, man, Weeder and I, by the end of it, were like <laughs> almost in fisticuffs, right? Like, um, uh, but I was just, man, I was fucking, I was in a bad space at that point. Like fully, that was where I was like, I need to make change uh, as well. And, but that record, you know, um, that record, I wish we could have continued on that trajectory because mm -hmm. um, uh, we knew we were like, okay, we're, we found the perfect heavy, weird times and melodicness. We mm -hmm. found that perfect place we'd been looking for. And I think with Bardstown, there's some songs on there where we, we were headed that way. I think uh, mm -hmm. uh, a Micron, um, even Theta. This Theta. Was that weird, yeah. Um, and then there were some old leftovers, like Phi, the really long one that like now, like we were listening, you know, it's just like, why is this 11 minutes long? <laughs> it works though. It works. There's something about it that just like in context makes a ton of sense, especially when you consider further because the, the, you, you guys had basically, even though you were still playing hardcore shows, you'd abandoned the pretense of hardcore as a form and, and, and really embraced it more as the idea of what we all had gotten into it for in the first place, which is just, you know, the, the idea that punk rock is a, a middle finger to form. It's about, you know, conveying emotion. I think that's what you guys had done best. And that's why you made the best music at the worst possible times in your lives, because you were channeling turmoil. I you cannot know. disagree with that. <laughs> I, I thought you meant the band at first. Oh. Like, no, and John, I just saw John Gula two weeks ago. Like, what? No, no. I was like, wait a minute. Was what? Like, we were? <laughs> Great dudes. Great dudes. Oh, I love those guys so much. I love them. They're like our local uh, heroes, as it were. But, well, not as much as Starkweather. Starkweather are the local, like, eastern Pennsylvania heroes. But Turmoil's definitely up there. Um, Starkweather is one of those bands that you that guilt fit in with very well. Um, formless, you know. Did we play with them, and I think I feel like we yeah. played with them in Earth Crisis in at Lost Horizon. At the Lost Horizon, yeah, you did. Oh yeah, I remember being there. Yeah, yeah. There, sometimes there there are just these outliers, you know. Um, Earth Crisis, notwithstanding, they were great, but they weren't they weren't against the grain of that. They, they kind of like set the tone for that time period, really. Um, even though I think chokehold did it better. Uh, earth crisis definitely were like, a, 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 a standard bearer for the zeitgeist of the time period, but it never kind of matched the same sort of, uh, subversive thought that bands like guilt, stark weather, uh, dead guy, kind of employed and, and and made viable in our rarefied scene um that's the that's kind of the part that i always sort of bemoaned about my own involvement and in, in, in the hardcore of your it could be very codified and closed-minded you guys escaped that even even like duncan before 
guilt in endpoint endpoint was never like preachy you know that preachiness was a big turnoff for me <laughs> did you see endpoint yes i did see endpoint and and listen rob rob could be a little bit <laughs> no but he wasn't like didactic he never he was patient. never like yeah. that no yeah, yeah. No, I just, sorry, I had to go there. Um, well, you know, I think it's because I always, I mean, I always loved like hardcore. Of course, I loved like Youth of the Day and, and, and those kinds of bands. But I came, uh, Ashley and I came, you know, like we pulled from those bands that those guys pulled from, right? Which were like, you know, like Sacron Trust. Yeah, you know, Black Flag, Early Circle Jerks, Faith. Um, uh, yeah, like Void, right? Like and fucking Void. <laughs> yeah, man, right? Like Battalion of Saints. These bands that weren't necessarily like uh, all of them, like right down the center, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, I think the difference between a band like Earth Crisis and us is they were down the center of that metal hardcore. They were great at what they did. That's why they mm -hmm. still draw. They had a message. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we, there were bands, I think that's the thing with Dead Guy and, and, and Guilt and even like uh, their, you know, um, his earlier band, Rorschach, which were just mind-blowing, right? Fucking incredible, yes. Not down the center, right? Um, and it's easy to find success it's easier to find success when you play down the middle mm -hmm. um it's it, and that's i don't be, begrudge anyone for doing it there's lots of bands i love that are right down the center um mm -hmm. but i don't think we were physically capable of doing that i don't think i think louisville is a weird town um with an incredibly high suicide rate um and addiction rate mm. it's a working class town um and we we were i mean you know we were raised by you know we came into the scene that was run by a bunch of freaks yeah you know yeah um you know i saw a show like for example with like i think it was like brain dead maurice the uninvited and descendants. And if you said Maurice, which was like just straight up metal, yeah. like playing with the descendants, right? Like that was, that was 1984, 85. And that's just like, you know, that was just a kind of scene. Uh, and when you go to a show, that's just like, you know, hardcore, 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 that's kind of different shades of the same color. Yeah. It's very, Interesting. So whenever Endpoint would play New Jersey Fest, it was always fun, right? When we played Middlesex, Middlesex. But, you know, the, the diversity wasn't as crazy wide. And now that I look back at the bill that we played in Middlesex, which uh, was cursed because we came out ready to rage and Andy Tinsley had tuned uh, Matt Weider's guitar to E. <laughs> So we come out like ready to go and we just <laughs> it sounds like shit and we're just like fuck another time we have just blown this but
but that lineup now, people are like, oh my God, that was a lineup? You know, it was like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Converge, Us, um, Daltonic, all these bands that like now people just, they can't believe those bands all played together. Yeah. And, um, and but it, it, even that show was a little bit, you know, it was like noisy hardcore metal. Mm-hmm. I th- I think now there's there's probably a a a better I guess sense of, of of I don't know like like people just have a better idea of what bands that came from hardcore can be. Uh I remember in the late 80s going to shows and the first like I guess emo core bands of that time period were starting to play shows in my area and if you went to those shows it was almost like sacrilege like yo you going to that melodic show <laughs> that's that's fucking melodic don't go to that don't go what are you thinking like there there was there was a serious like there was a blowback but if if a hardcore band and a, a straight metal band were playing together no problem you're good yeah but, but it's that melodic thing that that like for a very brief moment, not cool. <laughs> you can't do that and still be accepted at the next, you know, like seven second show. You're not you're not invited. <laughs> in, in 1998, I think that's when we played your town is by by the grace of God play mm-hmm. there, and we show up and we have no idea what the read is on this town. And there's just these two hardcore kids, kind of young, and they got like camouflage bandanas. They're like, hey, how's it going? You guys here? You know, you guys here for the scene? And da da da. We're like, and the kid goes, yeah. And we're like, they're like, what do you play? And we're like, I don't know, kind of like political, uh, sort of melodic hardcore. And they're like, nobody's gonna like you, man. This is a mad ball town. And we were like, <laughs> um, not again. So that show was great. Right? The show was awesome. They're just two kids that happen to love Madball, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, guilt. Yeah, it's like Ashley said. We would roll up and go, "Oh God, they're gonna hate Here we us." Go. <laughs> Get ready to clear the venue out. <laughs> this is time for everybody to go buy their hoodies. Yeah, I thought it was actually. This is. I don't know if this is really off top. It's related. If I, when we did the burning fight thing um and played up in chicago the exact same thing happened because you had bands like 108 and ringworm and all these bands playing and people were going nuts and it was just packed in there and guilt gets on stage yeah 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 it was but but the people who stayed there right were like these young kids and they came up and they were like you guys sound more contemporary than anybody on this can we buy your records? And we're like, we don't even have records anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Farsan Ugly Box has been out of press since out of print since the nineties. Yeah. Um, but that was always heartening. But, um, yeah. But we had a lot of fun on that trip. Though. Yeah. We brought we brought uh, our a buddy of mine, two buddies of mine from Denver. Uh, one of them is the 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 front of house for um, Bonnie Bear, and he did our sound. And the other one was a guy I played with, uh, 
Drew and they played the drum intros, but um, it didn't matter. At that point, we don't care anymore, right? We're not like, oh no, nobody cares. We were like, oh, this is, we're playing the fucking Metro. This is fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like uh, going into this, the venture of, you know, 28 years later, re-releasing this then as their trepidation, uh, I guess, because like having this storied past and having been through like legitimately every possible scenario you can go through in the context of playing in the hardcore scene, revisiting, coming back. Is there like, I asked you about like the reinvigoration, but was there trepidation? You know, I think I was, I didn't know if everybody would want to do a show, right? So Kyle and I, I think we all wanted a remix of this record, but Kyle and I had been kind of talking about it. uh, Kyle offered to finance the remix. Um, And we said, you know, I mean, just pay for it. And we said, I said, okay. And so we talked, then we looped the band in and I said, would you want to do a show? And I think everybody was like right away on board because we had had from that time, we'd had two shows that we played after the big breakup and really had great times and really got along because all the the nonsense was was gone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we just, it's fun to get in a room with everybody and because we never, we're never in the same place, right? John is the man of mystery who knows where John is and I'm way out here and uh, Kyle and, and Ashley are in drastically different circles in the world. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's a chance for us to get together and, and like hug and play these old songs and go, Oh man, how do we do this one? You know, like, um, uh, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot of fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. Are the stakes lower now too? especially since like you've gotten to this point in life where you know the what you think of one another has drastically changed and you're all just like kind of happy to see each other again the stakes are a lot lower i would think yeah um yeah i think so i mean i think that we're because we're not living in that same space we're able to actually enjoy each other and playing the music together that we made together. And so there isn't, you know, it's not like, God, are we gonna wanna kill each other after this show or during the show when we play? Like, I mean, just even when we played down in Florida, it's a notable moment where Duncan and I were just like, (laughs) it's like, I thought you were gonna choke me while I was driving. (laughs) I thought about it. And so there's not that angst in that. Um, it's it's just easier to enjoy and to look back at like, wow, look how different we are now. And but this still means something to us. You know, it it's it's fun. You know, mm-hmm. it's not full of sour emotion. Um, and I do think, and I don't know. I, it seems like you mentioned this before, Duncan. Um, it is it is different in the sense that you almost have to like get yourself back in that headspace 
of mm -hmm. where we were to make it feel the same. And that's kind of hard to do when you've, you know, like for me, spent years in therapy trying to like repair all of those things that were going on. I mean, it's all still there. I remember it very clearly, but whether you choose to get back in that headspace or not to play, you know, and it might, it might come off differently now, but it's still fun. It, it's fun to be able to get together and enjoy each other and play that music together. Yeah, I think what you said there is really true. Like, Ashley and I are a lot more healthy mentally. Um, we, we, we did a lot of work, you know, to, to, to change her. I mean, the reason I left Louisville was I, I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I'm going to kill myself. And I had made an attempt and I said, all right, I'm leaving. And I went to graduate school and never came back, you know, except for here and there. And I think, you know, I've, going to therapy and taking medication and I try to live a little better. And, uh, and I'm able, like, I guess I've learned to channel that anger instead of it being what it was at the time of this abstract thing that was eating me alive. It was, I, I channel that anger. I think about things that make me mad now, like injustice. And, uh, you know, um, inequality and things like that. I know that sounds really like you're like, oh yeah, come on, hippie. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, because I don't, sure, I, I mean, depression never goes away, right? It's still no. there. Yeah. Um, but I don't need to like, I don't think I need to coax it up and like you know come specter uh because i've got all of these other things that are going on in the world that that i can say okay i'm going to locate myself in that and get a little angry so i can scream uh which i can't do as well as i used to um Talker. but uh uh and it's just it's really cool because you know like i i'm not in a band right now Right? Like I've been a band all my whole life and now I'm not, which is like killing me. But during the pandemic, I bought this new beast over here, this Mesa. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it has not gone very loud. Um, <laughs> so I'm very it, much looking forward to getting into Kyle's basement and uh, uncaging it. Uh, it it uh, almost it seems works. criminal that it hasn't been <laughs> you know unleashed as it were mm -hmm. but you know that there's there's something to be said about like all the three of us all share that same thing that demon that is depression and the three of us all learn to live with it uh to certain degrees but you don't need to you don't need to resummon that specific memory in order to inhabit a, a similar headspace because it's never that far from you it's how healthy you are uh, in terms of how you disseminate these feelings that crop up continually, they never go away. It's about how you deal with the oncoming onslaught of emotional necrosis, almost these, these, these horrible things that our psyches conjure on, on a minute to minute basis. That's a depressive person. Uh, but, uh, someone who is equipped like as it seems to me that the three of us have via therapy and life experience have become more equipped mm -hmm. to deal with you can still hone it you can still 
grab it if you need it, but it, you don't have to internalize it and mm -mm. ruminate right. anymore. And that's the beautiful thing here because th these expressions of, of, of dire circumstance and, and, and uh, you know, emotional horror, they're still there to be expre expressed to others, but you, you guys don't have to suffer it anymore. That's the beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's um, it's something. And, you know, like, if I can just touch back for a second, part of the reason why things go a lot smoother now, and, and I, I, I ask permission and I ask first with the band and everything that we, we, we function more, we've functioned more as a band since not being a band than we were as a band. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, that changes a lot right away uh, because everybody has equity in the band. They don't feel like it's like the Kyle and Duncan show half the time. Right. It's just, you know, um, because those, I mean, these songs would be nothing without the bass and drums. Right. Uh, and I don't think I really even paid attention to how good Ashley's bass parts were oh until further, where I was like listening to a practice of us and I was like, holy shit, these bass lines are so good. They're like um, modal. It, your bass lines on further are like modal jazz, Ashley. That's yeah, what it reminds yeah. me of. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, they were, and, and I was like, I know, Ashley loves compliments. Uh, <laughs> I take them really well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, 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 that was the moment I was just like, and you were, you know, you were gone at the time, and I was just like, you know, fuck, this, this person was in the band, and I, didn't even notice this whole time, like how good these bass lines were for these songs. And this remix, just like Steve just brought that bass in and it's got so much growl and it's just, you're just like, wow, these lines even were like fantastic, you know? Um, and I think that's when you stop being a, a fucking band Nazi and you start moving as a team, you're able to not, focus so much on yourself and you're able to see like really the beauty in what you all are doing. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think any of us get to really examine that until it's all in the rear view though. You know what I mean? Like, right. like who, who really appreciates the, the, the band they were in in high school, right? Yeah. Even though in high school you were, argue inarguably having some of the best times of your life really yeah you're young everything's new and fresh and exciting and, and gorgeous um i remember the hardcore band i was in in 1989 90 91 that was the best times of my life i sucked that was terrible at what i did <laughs> it was terrible at what i did but in hindsight when i listen to the cassette recordings of of the practices and the the abortive attempt at a demo I still feel the same way I felt. I'm transported by that, but, but just 
by the proxy of listening to uh, an artifact of me as a young man, I get to re-inhabit that spirit and that emotion and, and that sense of wonderment. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I kind of almost would imagine that upon re-listening to this version of Bardstown, and I asked you before how it made you feel, but there has to be a wonderment somewhere in there too, just like to re-inhabit something and hearing it with fresh ears and a fresh mix. And, and it's almost like a new album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's hard to speak to it like that because we're so, I think I, it is, but where I really get the sense of that is when people hear it and, and I don't ask them for their opinions, right? Like my friends. You didn't ask me. It. You just sent, you just sent right. it to me. You just sent yeah. it to me like eight months ago, nine months ago. Yeah. yeah. And I said, check this out. And every one of them had said, this sounds like a totally different record. It's a Your different band album. would have been treated so much differently if this would have been the record that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, now they could be biased because most of them are people who love guilt anyway. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's yet to be determined if average guy that was around at the time and was into hardcore or metal would be like this record rocks. You know, I have no idea, but, um, so far I was really worried. I was worried that like people are going to get upset about this remix the way people are precious about their memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you as um, a man of, of <laughs> my age and having been afforded uh, a, a sneak peek by the better part of a year of that, you sent it to me. You're like, wait, do you hear this? Just keep it to yourself. Listen to this. I didn't get precious about it. I, I was just in reinvigorated with this. The, number one, the sense memory of having first heard Bardstown Ugly Box and then re-falling in love with it in a very different way because it is a full experience. It's almost like it's almost like seeing the Wizard of Oz, but in 3d for the first time or something mm. like that, you know, something classic that is, is opened up in a different way. Like, I, I don't want to say when they colorized night of the living dead, because that was a nightmare, but like, you know, like <laughs> something akin to that, like how, like seeing the spider walk scene from the exorcist for the first time when they finally, when, uh, you know, they finally reintroduced that into the cut just like, wow, this was intended. This is what it was going to be the whole time. How are we, how did we miss this? How did this not get offered to us way back then? I think that's, I didn't get precious because it was, it felt like a gift. I felt like I was, Duncan let me in on a secret. That's what it really felt like. Like I'm in a special Aww. club, like, wow, <laughs> holy shit. No one else knows how good this could have been. And it was already good. Um, I think that's how, people are going to take it when they finally hear this and they find, and the people who are going out and buying the vinyl, when they finally get to have it in their hands and, and, and drop the needle on the record and spin it. And, and it's going to blow away that comparative kind of thing where like, this was my record back then. How could it be better? It's fucking better. <laughs> it's just better guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank God there's freaks like you, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, the, 
I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and there's not a ton. We didn't, you know, it wasn't like we pressed 10,000 records or whatever. Um, but they're, they're like the, a few of the variants are almost sold out already. And it's yeah, been like just a few hours, uh, which was just like, you know, tickled me. Uh, like, um, it's not like back in the day where, you know, you just assumed a record was going to sell 5,000, whatever. Um, now, you know, like, you know, very few hardcore bands sell a ton of records. Um, Unless you're turnstile. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But then again, like turnstile is like, they're really good. They're really good. You know, they're doing, they're, they're, they doing their own thing, but this younger generation is really open to it. It's like you said, right? Yeah. Um, and very few bands can do that, you know? Like, I think Ceremony did it. I think um, they transitioned it to the new thing. I think that, I mean, I mean obviously Refuse did it. Um, yeah. Uh, do you remember how nuts we went for that album, Duncan, when it first came out? <laughs> I was you staying know, at your it, house when it just came out. We were going fucking nuts for that record. We were. Yeah, like Dennis sent me a, a early copy of it. He was always so, like, Dennis has always been such a sweetheart. And he sent it to me with a bunch of other bands that were from Sweden. He's like, you know, and I, I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Refuse is going to be huge, right? Like, they're going to they're gonna be so big. Um, but, of course, it didn't happen until after they actually broke up. Sadly. Um, which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're doing all right now, right? Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, like, and it was such a great thing to work with Juan and Austin because you know they did my solo stuff, and and I I trust them. Yeah, yeah, um, like Colony Collapsed. What they did with the physical release was gorgeous, just absolutely like Nietzsche and Holiday too. But that that Colony Collapsed twelve inch just looks impeccable it's a piece of yeah, art i mean they they are record nerds and they make records for making records they're not yeah. like they're not just mass producing they they make artifacts and mm -hmm. i'll take that any day of the week uh you know over somebody that just wants to make a buck you'd rather pay more for something from someone like that than uh a uh, uh, my uh, faceless corporation just milling out product that has no yeah. thought behind it like like record store shit day shit you know record yes. store day i'm shit. so like, over that oh shit. this rare devo record and it's like look i love devo but i don't need to buy that no mm -hmm. no no there's nothing there's i have no personal connection to it but when you look at you know what they've done with this release with the, there's a bonus seven inch to it and like these amazing variants there's a a, a serious mm -hmm dedication to the spirit of the form and and you can tell they love what they're doing as they love it as much as i loved and still love that record it's it's important and and <laughs> as, as as long as there's you know ears to hear it and and people who are willing to spend 35 bucks on something that is not only prescient but will continue to reverberate <laughs> Look at how gorgeous that is. Look at that. Like, like they got it right. He even put, I didn't do this. He did this. Black yeah. sleeve. Right. Yeah. 
you know? That's how it's supposed um, to look, man. I, I feel bad because Ashley hasn't gotten hers yet. Uh, That's okay. They're, they're waiting till I get home, but yes. you know, um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, you're right. Like it's just, it, having somebody that cares is, is a dream. It looks mm -hmm. it looks better than the original. I have the original vinyl behind me. It, to me, that looks better. It looks more cared for, curated, appreciated. Mm -hmm. yeah, we weren't uh, we weren't going to get that from Tony Victory in 1995. It just wasn't in the cards. <laughs> you know, um, and and this is another guilt thing, right? Like we did the mix, we would send it off, we're ready to go, and then not. Two things happened. One, pandemic. Two, Adele and Harry Styles. Adele and Harry Styles every fucked it all. Person years back. <laughs> and this is not this is not a joke. They did. No, it's the real fucking they, deal. They, yeah, it's the real story. Like all these pop stars, they're like, I have to have vinyl. Screwed over all of these little, like even big independents, like. Like uh, temporary resonance, like Re Revelation had, was uh, was waiting in the wings for yeah. Adele Records to get cleared out of queue, so they could, you know, in inarguably Revelation Records is a big label for hardcore, the biggest probably. Mm -hmm. They were waiting in queue forever because mm -hmm. of Adele and Harry Styles records. That so tells that that's. To me, it seems a crime, but there's no getting around it. This is, we're in the best time and the best climate for physical media since the 90s. There's no, like, literally, no one was buying physical media for the past 20 years, really. Now, all of a sudden, it is, it's fruitful. <laughs> it's, it's open. It's a thing again, you know? Look behind me, man. You know, they, they finally <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, Nate, I'm, I'm here for it, you know? <laughs> Nate, Nate from Converge was busting my chops. Uh, he's like, man, why are you buying more gear, man? Just get a, like, a quilter and, you know, call it a day. You got to lug that thing around. I was like, I, you know. I mean, I know they use amps in the studio, but I'm like, I'll die on this. I want, I want this artifact on stage. It makes me feel. It's, <laughs> but the, the, here's the thing: you, you can have every filter and every like goofy computer trick on earth, but what do you think Jimi Hendrix would have sounded better on? A Fender Twin or a computer? A fucking really? Fender Twin, man all day something with tubes in it something that's analog that that has you know gravitas largesse something that fucking moves air mm -hmm. a computer's not going to do that for you baby midi's not going to do that for you but what's sitting right behind you is going to make people want to lose their fucking minds every time you play in front of them that's the power hashtag middle-aged people talking <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we middle-aged i thought we passed that no we're, we're still middle-aged <laughs> you might still be <laughs> <laughs> you youngster Maybe. you're still in your 40s i'm still in my 40s yeah for another three years <laughs> i'm not 
Yeah, that that's when that fifty hits you, man. It's like a it's a doozy. It's you a know, moment where you're you're on the treadmill and you go, "Oh my God, I'm 50. <laughs> well, here here's the beautiful kind of like uh, cosmic reset that I have in my life. I have a son that should be my grandson. I'm 47 and I have a four-year-old son. What a shot of life that is, you know. It keeps me young. I feel younger that he's in the world. I also no. feel like I'm never going to get to retire, but oh well, right? <laughs> I will most assuredly die with my boots on, but for the best cause ever. So it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But I get I get to pass all of this on to him. My daughter, who's in her 20s, she's really she was into it when she was younger now not so much i'm really getting to kind of share my passion with this little guy in a very real way i taught him to read when he was three he's been reading like almost fully for a year um he's just he's involved he's interested he loves art he loves music he loves poetry he loves everything that i show to him he loves guilt he knows who guilt is. He's heard guilt. It's a part of his life. That's, I think, the 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 real kind of like coup of this. Mm-hmm. That you you get like these are things that are gonna outlive us all. And it's gonna keep having a place in art and culture in perpetuity for as long as people want to be involved in it. But yes, I will uh I will let it go there. Uh, I love you guys. Your music has meant the world to me. Uh, I hope that we get another reissue. And I want to thank you for coming on tonight. Thanks so much for having thank us. You. Yeah. All right, guys. I appreciate you and uh, have a great night. You do the same. All you right. Too, thanks. Good night, guys. Good night. Bye. I want to thank Duncan and Ashley for coming on and doing this record release special with us. Um, If you didn't really pick up from the last hour and 40 minutes of of discussion, uh, this record means a ton to me and to a good deal of my contemporaries. It's a masterpiece. Everything they did before was phenomenal, but this sparked what guilt was to become like they reached a potential with this album and the record that followed further uh really lives up to its name that that one they're a fully realized entity at that point when further comes out i hope you enjoyed this as much as i certainly did i hope you go over to mind over matter and uh you buy the vinyl if you could um as a matter of fact you can't it's sold out you missed your chance um i'm sure they're going to press another run of the vinyl um hint hint austin duncan and ashley have been guilt i've been peter you've been beautiful and this has been the guilt bardstown ugly box record release episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Take care of one another, people. We are all we have. Love to you all. 
Good night. i